Hey, Green Tree family, uh, Pastor Tom Ricks here. Glad to have everybody back together uh, this morning as we continue to celebrate Advent in our sermon series, Way of the Manger. Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, and in a few minutes, we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, in particular, uh, the gifts that the Magi bring. So uh, a buddy of mine sent me a cartoon uh, this last week that I thought was outstanding. And hopefully you'll, you'll see it on the screen here. The wise men are getting ready to head out and they're buying some gold. Uh, and you can see the little sign there. Uh, it says customers who, brought, who bought this product also bought. And then you can see uh, the frankincense and the myrrh. So uh, kind of a little sense of humor there on that Bible story. Uh, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But the question you see there next to the cartoon is a legitimate question. Why are these gifts of the Magi uh, of any significance to us today? What does it matter to you or to me? Does it matter uh, to you or to me? Because there's something about their gifts that speak about their attitude towards God and towards his Messiah. So it's a question worth considering, uh, even if we use kind of a little bit of a humor to start it off. I want us to think for just a couple of minutes about what are some common responses to God that we've had in our lives or some of our friends or family members may have uh, in their lives today. And I want to mention three of them very, very briefly. One common response to God may be, you know what, I'm self-reliant. You know, it's nice that you're out there kind of taking care of the world, but I'm good. Uh, I don't really need much help. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, that's basically uh, the conclusion that Adam and Eve came to in the garden. Uh, the serpent tempts the woman and saying, you know, you ought to eat of this tree. You don't have, to, don't have to worry about any repercussions. And he says, in fact, you won't die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, what, what Satan's offering there is self-reliance. Eve, you can be the king. You can be the queen. You can be in charge. And I would say a lot of people take that approach. I've taken that approach in my life. You know, God, thanks for your, your help, but I've got, I, I'm, I'm in charge here. Second common attitude, I think, towards God is that I'm self-sufficient. I don't really need uh, very much help. I can kind of pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Uh, God warned the people of Israel about this kind of attitude when they uh, were coming into the promised land from being enslaved in Egypt. And God said, take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. When you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your hearts, your herds and flocks multiply, your silver and gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up. And you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The notion there is that God is the one who has provided for Israel. And yet Israel, when they get kind of the place of comfort, and I think you could certainly... Uh, COVID notwithstanding, you could certainly call our culture and our society a place of comfort, and we begin to think in terms of self-sufficiency. God, I can, I can take care of myself. The third and final that I'll mention is a notion of self-righteousness. Uh, we, can, we can look at, at God and we can say, you know, God, I'm, I'm pretty good here. I'm, I'm doing some good work here, so you should accept me uh, on my terms. 
Jesus told a story to this end in Luke chapter 18. He said two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And then he, he speaks about the Pharisee. He speaks about both prayers. I'm just going to read the first one for our purposes today. He speaks about the Pharisee's prayer. The Pharisee's prayer is this. God, thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of all that I get. The notion uh, that we have in our attitude towards God is I'm, I'm good enough. I, 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 you should accept me on my terms. Now, the only problem with this is it ignores God's attitude towards our hearts. It assumes that God's going to accept us on our terms as if he were our servant, as if he were here to take care of us and that we owed him no loyalty, no fidelity, uh, no thanks in our hearts. But if we read scripture carefully, we find out that God has a very specific response to each of these notions, and I'm going to give them to you very quickly. In the notion of self-reliance, the author of Hebrews says, no creature, no person is hidden from God's sight. We're all naked and exposed to the eyes of whom, to whom we must give an account. I am not the king. God is the king. Uh, And I will have to give an account to him. So the notion of self-reliance is out the window. Self-sufficiency Uh, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus, because by the works of the law, no one's justified. So this notion of of this effort and this energy uh, be expended in order that I might uh, earn my way, uh, God says you're not self-sufficient. In fact, you are You are lacking. Your works are lacking. And then the notion of self-righteousness, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. So through the law comes the knowledge of sin and all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and self-righteousness in our relationship with God finds us lacking. Maybe Just maybe there might be another way. So finally, we come to the scripture for today, Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Hear the word of God. After listening to the king, they, that's the the magi, the wise men, uh, went on their way. Behold, the star that was seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a minute. Father, we pray this morning as we look at this scripture. Uh, in our context, in our day, uh, in the midst of a continuing global pandemic, uh, in the midst of of great diversity in our country or division in our country over uh, the election, uh, over politics. Uh, Father, as we we struggle with continually with divides of of race uh, and angst in our hearts towards those with whom we disagree, Father, we pray that your word would speak into our lives. 
We pray that we would see that our attitude, the notion of self-reliance or self-sufficiency or self-righteousness is a dead end. But what you offer is, is new life. What you offer is not just a, a shallow and uh, empty hope, but rather you offer us genuine life. So, Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning. We pray that this word would not just give us more understanding, but would be transforming our hearts, would be changing us more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your teaching today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our sermon in a sentence this morning is simply a question. What is my response to God's gift to Jesus the Messiah? Uh, We want to make it personal this morning. I I want to answer that question for myself based on this passage of Scripture, but I hope that you will do the same. I have four observations in this text that I hope will lead us to a correct response. Uh, The last three are looking at the three different gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, The first one is the notion of examining my own heart. What is my attitude? Is my attitude one of self-righteousness, of self-sufficiency, or is my attitude one uh, of coming before God in worship and in thankfulness? Verse 11 is where we're going to spend all of our time uh, this morning. It says this, Going into the house, they saw the child, that being Jesus, with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Now, I don't have the, uh, the verse on the screen or, or, or on, your, yeah, on your screen right now, but I want to remind us of the promise that God gave to Mary when he first appeared to her. And he said, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. The reason for this heart of worship that was in the lives of the Magi is because they were reflecting on what God was doing. And as I look at my own heart, is my heart focused on God's work or is it focused on my efforts? A heart of worship is what led the wise men to give their gifts. Before they open up their gifts, we, we, we think of the Christmas story, and we go straight to the gifts, right to the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And even if you don't ever go to church, if somebody asked you, you know, what, what were the gifts of the wise men? You could, you could probably rattle them off, would be my guess. We go straight to that part of the story, but look at what happens first. They fall down and they worship. Why are they worshiping? They're worshiping because they understand that God's Messiah is coming into the world. And what is happening here is truly of epic proportions. And so they offer a right response. So I want to put it this way. A heart of worship led to gifts that reflect that notion of worship. So is my gift of worship to God, is it reflective of my heart? And I would say, yes, it is. If I'm very flippant about my worship of God, if worship of God has not existed in my life, then the gift I give him is probably going to be pretty thoughtless. Uh, Maybe I'll drop in on church every so often during my life, but it means very little to me. That's a reflection of what's actually in my heart. I was thinking about this in terms of modern Christmas gifts, and I'm thinking in terms of the wrestling match I go through every year when I try to figure out what I'm going to get Cindy for Christmas. Now, I love to give good gifts And my wife's very cooperative. She loves to receive good gifts. So it works out for both of us. But I think all year long about the gifts that I'm going to get Cindy. Why? Because she's my soulmate. 
So this next year, we'll be married for 40 years. She's the person that I care most about in this world. So I'm going to take some time to think about the gifts because I want the gift to reflect the love I had for her. Now, let me talk to you about my grandkids for just a minute. They're great. I love my grandkids. I wish I got to see them more than I do. I give Cindy some money, and at some point before Christmas, when we get on the phone with them, or now the Zoom, I'll say to her, hey, tell me what we got the grandkids for, for Christmas, just so I know. I don't want them to get bad gifts from us, but the balance there, you can see, is, is strongly tilted towards making sure the person I love the most in this world understands that love through the gifts I give. I want my grandkids to be delighted with what I give them, but it doesn't, that love doesn't compare to the love that I have for Cindy. I want you to also notice in this text that they gave, they, they reached into their sacks, so to speak, and they pulled out what? Their treasures. They didn't pull out trinkets. They didn't pull out something that was an afterthought. They gave serious thought. Why? Because their hearts were in, in, a, in, a, in a posture and a position of worship. Where's my heart today as I enter into this thought about uh, my relationship with God? Well, second, third, and fourth, then let's talk for a couple minutes about each of the gifts. The first is the gift of gold. Again, in verse 11, they uh, pulled out their treasures and they gave gifts of gold. Gold is the king's gift. It is a royal gift. If you go to Psalm 132, the psalmist speaks about the royalty of Jesus uh, before Jesus even comes to earth. He's prophesying about the line of David. And we've known, because we've done this over the past few weeks, we've looked at those Old Testament verses and we know the promise coming through the house of David. So the psalmist says, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of your sons of your body, I will set on your throne. There I will make a horn to sprout from David. I've prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies will be clothed in shame, but on him his crown will shine. And so it's appropriate that the wise men bring the gift of gold, and they're acknowledging the lordship. They're acknowledging the kingship. They're acknowledging the sovereign rule of God in their lives through this coming Messiah. So the simple application question to begin with is, is he my king? Not is he your king, not is he my spouse's king or my next door neighbor's king, but is he my king? This is an intensely personal question. And if I want to look for the answer of that, I can look, one of the places I can look is how I live my life. Does the life of Tom Ricks reflect the kingship of Christ in my life. If it does, it will show some things like a love for justice, a love love for the poor, an acknowledgement of my own sin and my own brokenness, a humility in my heart that says, "I, I need the Lord to lead me. I need him to be my king. I need him to be my protector. The gift of gold reflects a heart that sees Christ as our king. Secondly, uh, the gift of frankincense. This is the gift that proclaims prayer. What do I mean by that? Well, frankincense uh, was an oil. Uh, It it might be a candle was made up uh, and sprinkled with or dipped in frankincense. And there was a specific fragrance that came from the smoke that rose from the burning oil 
or the burning candles that, that were made with frankincense. And in the Old Testament, we're not going to take time to go and look at those passages, but the worship of God on a daily basis at the temple is reflected in the, in the sanctuary by these basins of oil that are burning incense, this sweet aroma. So we come to the last chapter of the Bible. We come to Revelation, and Revelation is depicting the worship of God. And in Revelation chapter 8, John writes this, Another angel came and stood at the altar, that's the place of worship, with a golden censer. That's this oil that is burning. And he, gave, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of this were uh, the prayers of the saints. They rose before God from the hand of the angel. So it's a, this is some imagery. Uh, it's some language that shows this smoke <clears throat> rising up to the throne of God. And this smoke represents the prayers that you pray. <clears throat> Excuse me. They represent the prayers that I pray. So think about your relationship with God. Think about <clears throat> your prayer life. Sometimes I pray prayers of praise. I thank God uh, for wonderful gifts like my wife or, or, or my grandkids or our kids. I thank God for my salvation. Sometimes my prayer is a prayer of saying, Lord, I submit to you. I trust in you. I'm going to follow you. Sometimes those prayers are prayers of dependence and trust. Lord, I need you. Uh, I'm asking that you care for me. I want to follow you. And so the picture here of bringing the frankincense is a picture of dependence upon God. So, uh, before COVID hit, I decided that I was going to take a little bit of time with a personal trainer. And as you can tell, uh, I haven't been to see that personal trainer in quite some time. Uh, he's, he's not open for business right now. But I, I never had a personal trainer before. Uh, and I probably couldn't afford to have one over long haul. But I decided for a <clears throat> month or two, I was going to you know try to get started and kind of get back into the gym. And what I had to do every time I went there three days a week was say to that trainer, I trust you. Because the stuff that trainer was making me do was tough. Man, it was hard. But I believed in the proficiency and the expertise of the trainer. And so while it was challenging, while it was difficult, I never for a moment hesitated thinking, well, this person doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, I actually began to see some small glimpses of results. When I think about the prayers that I pray to God, I don't pray to an empty heaven. I don't pray with a hopeful notion that maybe somehow some force out there is going to make my life okay. I pray to the God who sent his son to be my savior and to be my redeemer. I, I, I offer my prayers to the one who really knows what's going on around here and knows best how to care for me. Is my life, is your life reflect this, this gift of proclaiming prayer, this, this frankincense of trusting in God? And then the fourth observation of the th three, and it's the third gift, is the gift of myrrh. It's this gift celebrating salvation. Again, we're back in verse 11. They fell down and worshiped, opening their treasures. They gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is an unusual gift. Uh, in many respects, this is somewhat of an odd gift, an extraordinarily odd gift to give an infant child. Why? Because myrrh was used as a way to prepare the body of those who had died for burial. 
that's not sending a great message to a new mom with a little baby. Hey, I think we'll drop off some myrrh because who knows when you might need this. It might seem to be even uh, not only inappropriate, but actually morbid. And yet what the wise men uh, had a glimpse of, I'm not saying they completely understood it, but what the wise men had a glimpse of is that this salvation happened only through someone standing in our place. God doesn't ignore your sin. God isn't going to forget my sin. But God's going to forgive my sin because someone took my place. Because the punishment for my sin has been paid for on the cross of Christ. Let me take you back to the prophet Isaiah when he's speaking about the Lord Jesus, when he's speaking about the coming Messiah of God. And he says, by oppression and judgment, the Messiah is taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? That means he dies. He was stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The cross of Christ was, yes, it was a human death. That was, that was brought about by the Pharisees and those who hated Jesus, also brought about by uh, the Romans, the occupying force in Jerusalem. But it was a death that was not symbolic. It was a death that actually accomplished something. And what it accomplished was not uh, so that we could look back and say, well, this is how a virtuous person uh, dies. This is how a virtuous person bravely faces death. No, it was the Savior of the world giving his life as a ransom for many, exchanging his righteousness for my unrighteousness in order that those who call on him can be saved. And so the gift of myrrh is signifying and understanding that that death is coming. But as we know, the grave didn't hold Christ. When the women go to anoint his body on that first day of the week, they find an empty tomb. They find that the death of Christ has actually paid for our salvation, and therefore the grave could not hold it. But notice what Paul says in the book of Romans. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While uh, God shows his love for us in this, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Later on in chapter 5, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This gift of myrrh celebrates the fact that Jesus is going to give the gift of his life so that you and I, who are under the curse of death and deserve God's judgment because we have, we have broken his law, we have, we have profaned his name, and we've hurt one another in the process, Jesus stood and it took our place. Therefore, there is reason to celebrate. There is reason to bring gifts before our king. What, what the wise men are doing at this occasion is, is celebrating as much as they possibly can with as big a party as you can have with, with five people in the room. The prophet Jeremiah speaks to the emotion of this event long before it happened. In chapter 33 of Jeremiah, the prophet writes this, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, 
For the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Think about a wedding party. You don't, if the wedding party is quiet, if people are like giving little toasts and they're like kind of just, you know, we hope everything goes well, that would be like the worst wedding in the history of the world. A wedding party, a reception is raucous. I mean, we all behave up front. We've got to listen to the best man, give the toast. We've got we to gotta clap nice for the father of the bride. But we want to get out on the dance floor. We want to celebrate. Why? Because this is a festival occasion. And when the wise men showed up at Jesus' doorstep, that's exactly what was in their hearts. I asked uh, uh, my friend Diana Rolfe, I said, what's the best party you've ever been to in your life? And she kind of gave me that odd look that she gives me probably at least three times a day because I have to ask goofy questions. But she thought about it for a second. She goes, actually, that's an easy question to answer. My parents gave an amazing party every year on New Year's Eve, and everybody showed up. And she put it this way, the whole town was there. Can you imagine a whole town crammed into one house having a big party on New Year's Eve? Again, COVID, we can't quite get next to that right now, but hopefully we'll get back to that someday. It had to be a blast. It had to be so much fun as a kid growing up in that environment. Sometimes I think we just don't get the joy of our salvation because we're so serious. We're just, you know, and and believe me, there's a good place for reverence. There's an appropriate place to be still before the Lord and be quiet and to honor him. But there's also reason to dance. And that's what we see in this passage, this great joy. So let me come back and wrap up. We come back to the sermon of the sentence. It's a question, what is my response to God's gift of Jesus the Messiah? What is your response to God's gift of Jesus the Messiah? I believe that if I examine my heart, I'll begin to know the answer to that question, whether I've taken that question seriously or not. And if you haven't taken that question seriously, I hope today you will. I hope today you will begin to wrestle with the fact that God loves this broken world in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And you're part of that broken world. If you are wondering, you know, what are, what are the purposes for my life? What are uh, the meanings? Why am I here? I hope you will wrestle with these with these gifts, that you'll look at your life with some honesty and maybe understand for the first time that, that you've been giving trinkets and not treasures, that you haven't fully trusted God. But then as you look at this passage, I hope, you, I hope I've been able to at least paint some small picture of God's redemptive work, that this king got off his throne and came to save the poorest people in the kingdom, the people who wouldn't count to anybody else because that's how deep his love is that he offers us this relationship. We can come to him at any moment through prayer and that his death purchases our salvation. So I hope our response is a response of faith and trust and worship and joy. I hope that I can see my gift of worship is an appropriate response, that my gift of faith is an appropriate response to the gift that he has given me in Christ. And so I want to say with Paul at the end of 2 Corinthians 9, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the the gift of the wise men, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Easy to remember, easy to roll off the tongue, easy to picture in our in our minds the Christmas pageant we might have been in when we were a child or, or ones that our kids are doing now. Maybe, maybe our children have put on a Christmas play and, and they've presented this to us. 
Father, help us to stop just for a moment and think a little bit more deeply and consider what this really means. That you didn't leave a broken world unattended. You haven't ignored our cries of despair. You haven't turned a blind eye to the spiritual need in our lives. Father, we confess to you this morning, we, we have brought trinkets. We, we have been a rebellious people. We haven't loved you the way we should. So, Father, refocus our hearts and our minds this morning. The heroes of this story are not the wise men who brought great gifts. The hero is the one who gave the perfect gift, the one who gave the Messiah, and the Messiah himself who gave his life. We, we come to the way of the manger to worship the one who's lying in the manger, the one who would eventually would go to the cross and suffer for us and die for us and be raised again to life for us so that we could celebrate this Christmas and that we could celebrate for all of eternity his love for us. Father, thank you for your inexpressible gift. May our hearts and our lives reflect faith and trust in that gift and a love for you who has redeemed us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.